So I went to court yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Guilty on all charges. They're throwing me away. Shit. Starting the recording again. Oh, did you stop it and start it? Yes. Well, this is my last one. Well, shit. It's episode 70-something, and um, welcome once again to the Raincoat Report. They're not really going to send me away. That's good. I have to take a class. You are guilty, though, though, right? Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> it's uh, the de- You can go see it. At the, I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> there were a lot of cameras. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's probably gonna be on court TV because <laughs> uh, I threw a chair at the judge. Oh, okay. Then it's definitely gonna be on court TV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I raised hell. Uh, I made bail. I made bail. Along. There was no bail. They just made me sleep in the jail. <laughs> Um, but that was a while ago. Now, when I got there, my lawyer was like, hey, your license might be suspended, which we had not talked about at all. Yeah. And I was, it was a couple counties away, and I was like, so I drove myself. And he's like, uh, he's like, if you can get out of this county, you should be okay. Because <laughs> the Department of Transportation won't update it quick enough for it to be effective anywhere else for, like, the rest of the day. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so... They didn't do that. Well, that's good. Yeah, it was going to be... I was just thinking about having to ask you for rides to pick me up. <laughs> the fact that, like, you're already at the point where you're, you know, living with your parents and everything. I think the last thing that you need is to also not be able to drive anywhere. Yeah, it would just... You'd be basically, like, 12 years old again, except... Well, no, just... It's the same. Old. I'm just old. It's an old 12 year old sleeping in the same room, jerking off to the same sable poster. <laughs> um, but that's things that are and things that were. And today we're here to talk about things to come. That's right. Uh, welcome to the Raincoat Report. This is Boss here with Jeremy. Hello, it's me, Jeremy. You're... He's a he's a free but guilty man. I'm a free man, but uh, you know what? I'm proud of being guilty. <laughs> Everyone says they're not guilty or that they're innocent, and I think you got to own up to your crimes. Yeah. So um, that's what I did. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, as has been intimated, today we are talking about a film titled Things to Come as part of the Raincoat Files. Yes, we are. Oh, yeah. There's a Raincoat File to open. A real-life one. Oh, yes? Yeah. It goes all the way to the top. Really? Let me me tell you. What I've learned will shock and amaze. Ooh. Yeah. It's about... A little lady named uh, 
Nancy Reagan. Oh. Yeah. Have you heard, have you seen any of this? I know you're not, uh, I'm on Twitter all the time because I took over the social, uh, the social media man. Oh, uh, no, I no. haven't seen this. Uh, it's one of those posts that went viral and I don't remember the context of it, but, uh, it's been revealed that, uh, Miss Reagan before, uh, getting married and being in politics gave some of the, the, the uh, best blowjobs on, uh, Hollywood. Really? Yeah, she was very popular at the MGM lot is what I'm told. Well, I mean, a big star like Ronald Reagan, he could, uh, he could have any woman he wanted. Yeah. He, he knew what he was looking for. I think good be jippers. Yeah. Um, so that's like, uh, they tried to hide that from me. They don't tell you that in school. You're right. It's one of the, so that's why it's part of the raincoat files. <laughs> <laughs> the government has tried to hide this from us for decades now. You got to think, if it can't just be Nancy Reagan. I guess we need to get a real audit to find out of the first ladies in office who was the best at fellatio. There have been some 40 plus of those women. You think she's the best? I don't know. Maybe. I it's possible, but I don't know. Lady Bird Johnson? <laughs> Anything about that? Uh, perhaps. You know, I think that one of the problems is that... Mary Todd Lincoln? <laughs> unfortunately, so many of the uh, first ladies are no longer with us. We've only got a handful left. They probably got, like, HPV and then got throat cancer and died because they were just <laughs> sucking so much dick. That's why, we don't, that's why they're not around. I guess that's true. I hadn't considered that. I think that's probably what happened. Mary Todd, I think, she went crazy, so Lincoln probably gave her syphilis. That makes sense. Yeah, that's why he went crazy and started that war. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so things to come is directed by uh, Derek Todd, who has only one directorial credit this film, and has a producer credit on this film as well as a film titled Killer Jaws, which is about uh, killer whales. Oh, it's a documentary. Is it? You know, he doesn't have a very long history in the world of uh, film in general, but uh, he really knocked it out of the park with this one. I'll go ahead and say, you know, within the confines of what this is, which is a softcore sci-fi film, um, I think that it's it's firing on a lot of c cylinders. But uh, we'll leave a lot of that till later. Yeah, I'm gonna, for now, I'm going to concur. It's a well-made piece of uh, soft smut. Looking at the credits, none of the names jump out to me. No, I think it was uh, based on the accents. I'm going to say, well, I think this was shot in like Dallas for the most part. That makes sense. Because a lot of the accents are pretty uh, Southern. Like uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson's accent was. <laughs> probably his wife, Lady Bird. Right. Uh, yeah, going through the IMDb, most of these people like Jim Curtis, who plays Sam, who 
has an important but somewhat small role, has this as his only credit. Julie, the lead, has this and one other film as a credit. Yeah, going down the list, most of these people only made this movie, and a few had a few other roles, but no, nothing big. So that's kind of fun, a fun part of this, is yeah. that we're going in without any real knowledge of the people that we're dealing with. But uh, I will say that Derek Todd was uh, a visionary, and he had quite a vision of the future. Yes, he did. And we can't call the episode that because we already have one called Vision of the Future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was Barbara Broadcast, because I was trying to figure out which one it was. You were inhaling something. What was it? Oh, I'm just constantly inhaling all sorts of things. It was probably some kind of, like, probably Ajax or... Uh, oh, I think it was cleaning materials of some sort. It was definitely, yeah. We got a ton of them at work, and <laughs> I just hang out in the back and inhale them. Now that I'm the boss. <laughs> and... I'm just rip shit on inhalants and uh, think about classic porn films I'd like to watch all day. <laughs> uh, and this one, he says it was softcore. Would it be more like sexploitation? I don't know. Where's the line? Uh, Where's the I line? I mean, I feel like sexploitation and softcore are interchangeable. You think so? Like, I would probably call something on Showtime softcore more than I would call it sexploitation, but yeah. if you really called it sexploitation, I don't think you'd be wrong. Yeah, that makes that's a good point. <sighs> I think softcore and hardcore is just a differentiator between the two types of films if there's any significant sexual activity, and there's definitely a significant amount of sexual activity in this film. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and agree. Let's call it what it is. A fuck film. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about things to come. Oh, that was good. Let's take a trip via the television camera to the wonderful magic kingdom of delight, just as the joyous winners will receive a trip I, for one, never tire of seeing. Winners will travel to St. Louis via transcontinental monorail, then be quickly whisked outside the city to the Pleasure Dome itself. The most exciting recreation area the world has ever known. Completely staffed by amazingly human-like androids, the Pleasure Dome offers endless possibilities for total excitement. The entire complex is under the watchful eye of a scientific genius who prefers to remain anonymous, but sits in his master control room and reaches out to bring joy to the countless guests of his dominion. Christopher Columbus. What about him? He directed Home Alone. Oh, yeah, he sure did. He discovered America, and he directed Home Alone, and the first Harry Potter movie, I believe. He did the first two. First two, yeah. Yeah, he might have done the first two Home Alones as well. They don't ever let him do a third movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he did all that other stuff, all the bad stuff. Was the next Harry Potter movie Alfonso Cuaron or whatever? That's the guy who uh, directed uh, Children of Men and... Uh, Roma. That doesn't seem like the kind of person you would pick to direct your children's film. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, but uh, yes, I've I've now confirmed that that was uh, he did the Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. He also did Children of Men and Gravity and Roma. Oh yeah, I haven't seen any of those. Like any of those movies. Children of Men was really good. 
it's, or at least I thought so when it came out. I haven't seen it since. I probably should. I kept thinking you're talking about the city of lost children. That's something else. Yeah, that's something different. That's got French people on it, I believe. Or maybe that's Dark City. I don't know. There's a whole subgenre of 90s films I've never saw that are kind of, the images are kind of mingled in my head. Well, Dark City, I believe, is like a futuristic, almost like dark, <laughs> yes. weird something else. I'm sure there's something dark in Dark City. <laughs> uh, Children of Men is about a future where like everybody's sterile. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's pretty cool. I remember one of the things I remember specifically about it is it's one of the few films that I've seen a King Crimson song in because uh, they're very resistant to having their songs licensed. But the two movies that I can think of with King Crimson songs are Children of Men and uh, Mandy. Yeah, I was saying Mandy. I've seen that. I know they have that uh, over the opening credits. Yeah, Starless and Bible Black. Yeah. Or, big. I think the song is just called Starless. I'm not sure. Or I, maybe the album was called Starless and the song Starless and Bible Black. I don't know. I'm, I couldn't tell you. Always been more of a yes man. I've I'm a big King Crimson fan. Yeah, some eras more than others, but uh, the the Starless era and the in that was around the time that Red came out and Red's an awesome album. Anyhow, uh, this is for nerds. Things to come. Yeah, let's talk about that instead of about musty old prog rock bands. Things to come is a vision of the future. That I can identify greatly with. It's actually a future that I don't think would be that bad. Yeah, there's some drawbacks to it, but overall, it seems okay. It's not the absolute worst possible future. Once we've gone through the film, and probably once we get to the uh, review section, I'll give my thoughts on the future yeah. more specifically. But This film has a lot of world building to it. It sure does, and I'm going to not try to get too down in the weeds going over the plot because this is incredibly plot heavy yeah um but we'll uh we'll get through it in at least broad strokes yeah okay i'll stroke away well okay so i'm gonna start stroking now uh the film opens with some shots of computer monitors and we hear some classical music playing um, and then we get our title credits that are showing up on a computer monitor, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it's not the only film I've seen do that, but it's still a solid thing to do when done properly, and this does it. We cut to an apartment where a woman answers the door, and a uh, rough customer kind of blows his way past her and uh, rips her top off. We cut away, and we see a guy who's sitting and watching... Uh, looking like he's enjoying it. We cut back and the ruffian is ripping the rest of the woman's clothes off and he starts to whip her with his belt. We see the guy who's watching again and we realize that he's watching on a big TV from his couch. Yes. Uh, perhaps his, a projection screen. And his futuristic clothing, which involves uh, swooping epaulets. Yeah, so in this future, almost everybody wears these uh, red and black suits. Yeah, that's what they want you to wear. Uh, there are other suits that I'll describe later, but uh, the 
this red and black one seems to be what the average Joe who works every day wears. We see the guy on TV tie the woman's arms behind her back. He sits her up and then he takes his shirt off before pulling her closer and unzipping his pants. The guy on the couch watching is enjoying it and we hear uh, some the sounds of a woman moaning with her mouth full, as you could imagine. The guy on the couch is laughing. We see the uh, guy who broke in's face as he's uh, getting oral pleasure, it seems. And then we see the woman collapsed on the couch. She then looks at the camera and says, Y'all come back soon now, you hear? With a <laughs> smile on her face. And we hear the announcer on the TV show tell us, Thanks for watching Forcible Intruder. It starts to talk about the next program. We cut away to a woman who's laying in bed. The lights in her room turn up, and she starts to stir. Yes, there's a long, slow keyboard drone that sets the mood. <laughs> Indeed. Just one note. <laughs> it's of, uh, ominous. The radio turns on and says it's 735 and says some stuff about the conditions. It notes it's a Class A work day. Uh, she gets up and uh, toots a little snort of something <laughs> yeah. uh, to get her started on her day, as everybody does. Yeah, we all need a little toot in little the morning. Toot. We see the guy on the couch still watching TV. On the TV, we see a new woman who rounds the corner into a room. We see her a man say, come on in, Cindy. The guy tells her he thought she was getting better but says that she has no discipline or self-control. She says she'll do better, and he says he knows she will. It's his duty as his husband to teach her. So he tells her to undress. <laughs> so the woman who is sleeping walks into the room with the guy who's been watching TV this whole time. She takes a drink and looks at the TV as uh, the woman on the TV is tied to the bed naked. She sits down on the couch next to the guy who's been watching TV and tells him that she's leaving for work. She tells him that she wants to talk to him, but he hushes her. She says he could be doing something else other than watching TV, but he argues to her that he's a union member and he works three months a year. Yeah, man, <laughs> that sounds pretty sweet. He deserves to enjoy his time out. And then he... Gets on her and tells her that it's her fault she took a nine-month-a-year job. And uh, she shouldn't take it out on him. So uh, she leaves to go to work, and he continues to smile and watch the bound woman have sex on TV. Yes. She writhes around a bit on the bed as the guy's on top of her before we cut away. Mm -hmm. Both of these shows are, like, bondage-based it's pretty cool. I like the future TV. I yeah. wish that, like, when I put on TV and turned it to the uh, FX channel, that there were just women tied up and getting railed. would be pretty cool. Uh, Perhaps in the future, after FX. streaming, after streaming, like, just cannibalizes cable, they'll start to show special interest porn on TV. Yeah, I think you might be onto something there. You gotta keep something to keep people coming back. Yeah. I wonder if there's other good programming on that isn't bondage based. 
Perhaps. I don't know. I can relate to this character. I, f- I feel like him. You, know? <laughs> you kind of are him when you're sitting at home. Just watching these, watching taking these my notes. Movies and yeah. taking your notes. Yeah. He's both of us. It's kind of weird. And of course, you're you're at home in your room hoping your mom doesn't bust in while you're watching this stuff. And yeah. Meanwhile, I'm sitting on my couch and... Odds are my girlfriend's asleep while I'm doing this, and I'm just sitting here typing and taking notes, and yeah. she just randomly wakes up to something bizarre happening on the TV and then goes back to sleep. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. That's yeah. the circle of life. Yeah. It so, moves us all. Yeah. Maybe in a way we're already in this future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah We've yeah, yeah. chosen this future. Yeah. But it hasn't, like, we're, we're ahead of the curve. Yeah. All the other people who are at home watching The Masked Singer and... Uh, yeah. uh, everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> and uh, all in the family and everything are... Uh, they're behind the times. Yeah. And we're in the future where... Uh, we know. watch 50-year-old porno films. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Wait a second. Are we in the past? I don't know where we are. Um I think you should just go on. We'll just go forward. Then we cut forward to a futuristic call center. This is my sort of nightmare, having worked in a call center before. Yeah, I didn't like this. I don't like this part of the future. I will say that the calls they take are more interesting than the ones that I took. I don't know. We see Julie, Julie, who is the woman that we saw in the prior scene. She is the lead in this film. Yes. One of the few named characters... She uh, sits down and puts on her headset. We see somebody walk into a booth and then a light lights up that says confession in progress. Julie then takes a call from this woman in a confession booth. This woman tells her that she wants to castrate men. Open them up with sharp knives, slash their necks. And she kind of goes on and on, talks about dreaming of grinding them up into meat. And Julie's just sitting here listening to it. After she goes on for about a minute or so, Julie tells her her time's up. She tells her that she can pay more, but the confessor tells her that she's done. Julie says that, well, she's perfectly normal, and she kind of notes that she found what she said interesting. She tells her that it's our little secret, but uh, she can call back anytime she likes. Julie then answers the next call, and we cut away from that. So, This job seems horrible. It's interesting. Um, I worked in tech support, and that job was truly horrible. This job is a little horrible, but at the same time, I feel like these calls are more interesting. But maybe, I don't know, because I feel like, on one hand, if every woman that calls in is calling about castrating men, then that would probably be boring. But if this is atypical and people have very different things that they talk about, then maybe it's interesting. I think they probably talk about different things, but I think they're all equally horrible things that you need to keep inside. (laughs) Fair enough. Instead of having a phone booth where you just call another human and tell them something terrible and hang up. (laughs) I don't see why you would want to do this for nine months out of the year if you had options. Yeah, especially an option where you could only work three months a year. Yeah, if I could do this for three months a year, that would be fine. Yeah, I would definitely do this job for three months a year. But I don't need someone calling me up 
telling me that they want to cut people into tiny ribbons or that they want to like run over like school children with trains or something well one thing that i'll say like versus something like tech support is this is a very passive conversation like you just have to sit there and listen to what they say she doesn't even give them advice or anything yeah that's fair like literally all you have to do is just sit there while they talk and then you say Okay, well, that's that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> you just say that whatever they say is normal, and then uh, you move on with your next call. Yeah. I mean, it'd be kind of mind-numbing, per- perhaps, but if they got creative enough, maybe it wouldn't be ultra-terrible. I bet if I could, I could do it with, like, one earbud in and just kind of be listening <laughs> to my tunes in the other ear. <laughs> okay. I'm coming around on this job. How much does it pay? Uh, I don't know that it gets into that, but we'll... We'll see what we can do. We'll get you a job, and we'll get Lindsay a job. Okay, yeah. We would be good at this. We would be a dynamic duo. (laughs) All right. We cut to another fancy futuristic structure. Something that uh, I'm sure existed in real life because uh, they definitely didn't have a budget enough to build something for this. No, it's. um, I'm not sure what it is. It's just something in Dallas. All right. We see people walking around all in these red and black outfits. Julie is talking to who I presume is a coworker on lunch. She tells her that she's losing it, and the coworker says that, well, maybe she should ask for a year off. Definitely a different future than the present. Yeah, I would like a year off. Yeah, yes, please. I mean, I had one, but I would like, <laughs> I would like another. I should be able to work every other year. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. I could use a year off. Yeah, I've got stuff I need to do. I, I'm... I haven't done any This long. episode shouldn't be the episode where we talk about working the entire time, but I'm thinking back to when I was a kid and we always had summers off. Yeah. Man, that'd be cool for a real job. They should give me the summer off. They should give me a year off. I haven't done any laundry in months. <laughs> I smell terrible. Can't you get Carol to do your laundry? No. Oh. She is, um, she's always fucking it up. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not that she's unwilling, it's that she's incapable. Every time I go down there and get her clothes out of the washer, there's always some kind of foul puddle of water at the bottom. That's weird. I think it's the washer's fault, but it never happens with me, so she's doing the wrong setting. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Let's get on track. We got a lot to talk about. Julie tells her coworker that she doesn't want to be stuck at home with her husband watching TV all the time, but her coworker asks her, what else is there? Julie says she wants to do something else. The co-worker asks her, like what, going to the Pleasure Center? Or the Pleasure Dome, rather? Yes, to the Pleasure Dome. She tells her, you can't just go, you have to win the lottery. Julie asks her co-worker why she can't just go for a walk. Uh, but her co-worker responds, a walk? To where? Boy, Julie, you sure are weird. Julie says that she's beginning to think she might be right. So... We then see Julie outside and another co-worker comes to talk to her. Julie talks to her, uh, much like she did with the other co-worker, about how she's losing it. 
She says there has to be more to life than sleeping, eating, and watching television. This other co-worker says that's perfect. You see, scientists found out that all people wanted was sex and violence. And once they figured out that it wasn't harmful to watch, they kind of leaned into it. But the scientists also found out that it turned people into voyeurs. Julie continues to talk to this woman, and we then find out that this woman is like the cell leader from some underground resistance. Yeah. This comes out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently, Julie's part of it, but... Right. It does... It... That's not made apparent beforehand. I think it's extra weird because this woman first talks about how great it is to just watch TV all day. Yeah. And then she talks about being in the resistance. Maybe she likes television, but... I mean, I get that. Because, like, TV is awesome. And this TV that they're showing in this movie is super awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, But maybe she wishes there were just more, like... I don't know. It's like a couple, like, multi-camera sitcoms or something instead of (laughs) all of the sex and violence. You know, she wants a... She wants a little Everybody Loves Raymond. She wants a little How I Met Your Mother, (laughs) a little Will and Grace, a little Mad About You type type thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be some woman being raped by some guy who (laughs) kicks in the door. Yeah. I wonder how many programs are just that. (laughs) I I want to be able to watch TV in this universe. That would make my life a lot more interesting if I was able to... Turn to those channels. Yeah. I'm calling you out, Spectrum. Add some more interesting channels, maybe that have consensual sex, but aren't part of some $10 tier that I have to pay for. Yeah. Yeah. I think the government controls the television in this world. So what you need to do, start a whitehouse.gov petition to get Sleepy Joe... To nationalize the airwaves and fill them with smut. We're going to rally at the Capitol and demand the filth be let onto the airwaves. Yeah, we want filth on our airwaves. These are the public airwaves and the public wants filth. Yeah, yeah they do. We want to air things to come on a loop. That would be very fine for me. That's all you really want. <laughs> That's really all I want. I will I will go back home, President, if you, <laughs> you put things I to forgot come you had went on to the, loop. I forgot you had went to the Capitol to talk to the President. I or, probably should have gone to the White House. but Yeah, I'm, he's not there. I, I'm going to give Kamala <laughs> uh, a real earful about it. Demand that I talk to Sleepy Joe. She has to go wake him up. Yeah. Wake up. I'm not going to say Sleepy Joe ever again. Okay. I I like to say it. (laughs) It's funny to me. It's funnier than Let's Go Brandon. That has uh, worn itself out. What is that? That is... Really? Oh, wow. Um, That is their way of saying... fuck joe biden they were like chanting the people were chanting it at a nascar race and this announcer thought they were saying let's go brandon who i guess brandon's a driver oh. so now it's code oh no yeah. i didn't know about this at all yeah 
it's terrible i hate that yeah it's really goofy uh anyhow sorry (laughs) so there's this underground resistance that we get let in on all uh low-key yeah but this other woman that julie's working with tells her to calm down and one day they'll be able to strike out for freedom So Julie goes home, and her husband's at home watching TV, and he tells her to watch TV with him. His favorite show's on. A throwback to the 70s. Her husband laughs about women's liberation. Remember that? Uh, (laughs) We then cut to a guy and a woman on TV. Um, They're on a couch, and then she gets up as he's about to leave, and she pulls out a knife. Tells him, He's not going anywhere. We cut back to the couch and Julie tells Sam, her husband, that she wants a divorce. He asks why and when she tries to answer, he tells her to be quiet and watch. We cut back to the TV and the woman on the couch opens up her shirt and tells the guy to touch her breasts. He says he doesn't do that sort of thing and she tells him today he will. And she guides him to touch her. Julie and Sam are back on the couch. She explains to him that they need to break up, and he agrees. She asks for his card, and he gives it to her. And he tells her to get out of the way of the TV. So then Julie goes into a closet and goes to this computer and gets a divorce in 45 seconds by submitting his card with hers, and they were divorced. Yeah, it's easy. It's easy. It's easy. In the future. And, um... She's like, hey, they've set you up with a new place to go, and you can stay here tonight. I don't care. And I was like, damn, that seems easy peasy. Yeah. <laughs> you just get a new little place to go and watch television, and you break up with someone. You don't have to do what you do now, which I assume is find a new apartment or live with a friend. Or Yeah, she told him that he can go to the Mercury Complex at the shelter. And can leave tonight, but he wants to stay and watch a couple more shows. Yeah. Uh, On the TV, the woman threatens the guy with the knife, and uh, she tells him that she doesn't want to cut his pretty face, and she undresses and makes him take off his boxers. He pleads for her not to make him do this, and they lay down in bed. She tells him to get with it, and he says he can't, but she disagrees. And uh, seemingly starts to stroke him, but we don't see it, of course. It's off screen. Mm -hmm. Uh, She then rides the guy as he caresses her breasts. Julie tells Sam that she's going for a walk, and he says, I'll see you around. After a moment, he turns back and says, a walk? And shakes his head, but just continues to watch TV. We cut to outside and we see Julie walking around. She's uh, walking down a sidewalk. We hear a propeller going and then see a spotlight on her. They tell her not to move and tell her she's under surveillance. A guy comes up to her and asks what she's doing. She says she's just walking. The guy seems very confused by this. He gets her ID number and he punches it in and confirms her voice print. Yes, he looks like Cobra Commander. (laughs) He does. (laughs) He's wearing, like, a blue jumpsuit and a mirrored, like, motorcycle helmet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like everybody does in the future. Yeah. um, 
he's just like an anonymous cop. <laughs> right. Right, which, uh, that sounds like the future. After a couple moments, the computer confirms her name and lists off a bunch of uh, facts about her and her education and what she does for employment. The guy who's been harassing her tells her everything's in order, but tells her that they had to check her out because her behavior is abnormal. But he tells her she's a confessor, so she must know what she's doing, and he leaves. Uh, as he's leaving, he tells her if she hurries, she won't miss the late news on TV. We cut back to Julie in her apartment. She turns on the TV. On TV, they're talking about the drawing that's happening for a trip to the Pleasure Dome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of mentioned this earlier. You have to be in a lottery to uh, go to the Pleasure Dome and have a good vacation. I really want to go to the Pleasure Dome. I bet you would. Is that is that is that a criticism? Maybe. Would you want to go to the Pleasure Dome? Yes. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> On TV, they say that they'll travel to St. Louis uh, to go to the Pleasure Dome. So apparently, it's in or around St. Louis. I didn't catch that. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you build your pleasure dome in Missouri? Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe if you lived in Missouri. Maybe that's all And then you were doing the pleasure dome. I don't know what's left of the country, to be honest. Maybe just a couple southern states. Perhaps. Nelly's there. Oh, yeah. I bet he's the pleasure dome. He is the pleasure dome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's the whole damn dome. So on TV... They explain that the Pleasure Dome has human-like pleasure bots. They show how there's a control room that watches over everything to ensure that the guests enjoy it. The host says, it's time for the big drawing. So a number is flashed on the TV. And then Julie, who's holding a weird device in her hand, notices that the device starts beeping. It's like one of those... um one of those pager devices from the Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> right. It's acting like she her uh, table's ready. Her table is ready at the Pleasure Dome. Oh, yeah. We then cut to Julie talking to the woman from earlier who worked for the Resistance. She tells her about the trip to the Pleasure Dome, and the woman wants Julie to destroy the RK-1600 computer. Yeah, which is, we saw it in the commercial, and it looks like a... Uh, series of like connected lava lamps (laughs) right it's the most expensive computer in the world and she mentions to julie that it'd take months or years to replace once the world hears that people were standing up to this dehumanization their cause will sweep the nation but uh the woman also admits to julie that this is a very dangerous mission She gives Julie a locket with a gel explosive and tells her how to use it. She explains that the hard part will be getting into the room with the computer and planting it. She mentions that there is a service panel that leads to the computer itself. She also tells Julie that she doesn't have to do this, but Julie feels that she should, and she takes the locket from the woman. Then we cut to the Pleasure Dome. Mm, Scenic. St. Louis. Yes. Missouri. Yes, right next to the arch. Oh, yeah. 
Maybe they tore down the arch to build the Pleasure Dome, and this is a new thing that attracts people to uh, St. Louis in the future. I mean, I would definitely rather go to the Pleasure Dome than the arch. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Tear down, <laughs> tear down the arch. Tear down the arch. Build a Pleasure Dome. If we're going to spend a trillion dollars on infrastructure, part of the infrastructure should be the Pleasure Dome. You know, that's a good point. So uh, we get introduced to the Pleasure Dome, and Julie and some others file in in their black and red outfits. There's a woman at the desk who welcomes them to the Pleasure Dome. We then hear a male voice that welcomes them from the control room. This is Master Control who encourages them to let their imaginations go wild. He explains that they will meet pleasure units who are designed to serve their needs. He also mentions that the guests wear golden bands to symbolize their power. The woman at the desk says, That was the voice of Master Control. There's nothing he cannot accomplish for you. So she then introduced the guests to their slave units who all come walking in in pink and black outfits. So whereas most people wear red and black, the slave units wear pink and black. Yes, and they also have blue wristbands. Oh yeah, that's important as well. So the guests socialize with the slave units and uh, the woman at the desk tells them that their personal property has already been taken to their rooms and the slave units will guide them to the test cubes. I don't like that they call them slaves. It's, it's yeah. Got, it's got too much baggage. It certainly does. Call them, um, call them sex bots. Yeah. Call them fuck, fuck droids. Call them fuck droids. Fuck droids. I it's, like fuck droids. Yeah, because they're androids because they've got like human skin. That's what an android is. It's like a robot that looks like a human. And a cyborg would be with actual biomaterial yeah, and robomaterial. Exactly. Okay. That's the difference. So these aren't cyborgs. Right. They're these an- are androids. They're fuck droids. They're fuck droids, yes. Yes. So we see Julie with her slave unit, and he leads her to a door where she walks in alone. There's a screen in a chair, and she sits in the chair. A voice explains to her that this is a test to find out how they can serve her based on her answers. We see Master Control watching a screen, and, uh, and to be clear, we don't see Master Control himself. We just see kind of the back of his head. Yeah, he's like... Uh... Dr. Claw and Inspector Gadget. He's exactly who I was going for, yes. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) We see Master Control watching a screen and uh, some lights light up that say activate pleasure unit. We cut to a guy on a screen. He's chained up. He tries to free himself but can't. A woman walks in with a leather outfit and a whip. She taunts him and says that He has the best room in the house. He won't talk, though, and she notes that, and she tells him that she's there for his daily exercise. She makes him sit, and then she makes him lie down forcefully, tells him to roll over, and she uh, starts to whip him to make him roll over. Then she gets him up, pulling his chain, then makes him lay down on his side on the floor and tells him to stay. On the other side of the room, she starts to undress, asking why he is wasting her time. 
the guy in the room watches her as she masturbates. After a minute, she rushes up to him, yelling at him that she didn't say that he could get a hard-on. She whacks him a few times and then walks back across the room. She says he couldn't fuck her. He doesn't even know what a real man looks like. She finally says if he wants to make love to her, he needs to crawl over and beg her. He slowly crawls over and motions with his hands and head. She says that's good, but it's not good enough. She gets up and starts to repeatedly whip him. We cut back to Julie who's walking around. She walks into her room with a black door and looks around. It's at this point that she gets introduced to her personal pleasure unit, Shannon 5. Yes. She introduces herself, Shannon 5, and says that she's her personal pleasure unit and explains that there are restroom facilities in here with a massager. There are also hallucinogenics and consciousness drugs. Those sound cool. I would like to take a big fistful. Yes. Um, do you think that the shows they watch on TV, they make them here? I hadn't considered that, but now that you say that, that would make sense. They just like put some cameras in the rooms and they're just like, we're going to film the guests. You're on candid camera. <laughs> Perhaps. That's know, the but... post-apocalyptic future where the government can film you having sex in the Pleasure Dome. Yeah. And beating androids. Yeah. I don't know if there was an apocalypse that happened here or not, or if it was just like a gradual government takeover of everything. They don't get too... They do a lot of world building, but they don't really explain how we got to this point. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, I like the mystery. I think that it's good that the viewer can decide for themselves what has happened to lead to this point. Yeah, these are things to come, not things that did come and explained why they're the way they was. Not things that made me come. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon 5 continues to talk about the various amenities. There's a TV and a serving cube, which oh. uh, will uh, give you food. I want a serving cube. She also mentions that there are two exclusive Pleasure Dome TV channels that she might find entertaining. She explains that she can order any number of pleasure units or particular devices. She explains there are many playpens throughout the facility. And then if all else fails, she can talk to Master Control, who can find a way to help. Shannon 5 then says that she'll wait outside and uh, Julie can summon her if she needs anything. We get a scene where Master Control gets a call about how power dropped in a certain area and he reroutes power. This had absolutely no effect on the plot. No. It's um, world building. We get lots of shots of computers and just like a bunch of buttons lit up and, lit up and stuff like that. Um, and that's something we get a lot throughout this movie. Um, yeah. It's, it's impressive. It's technological. We see Master Control talking to Julie later. He tells her that her test came back inconclusive, which he knows was very rare. So he says that they'll have to get an idea from her conscious mind as to what she needs and asks if she has any requests. Julie shakes her head and says not really. He asks if she had any daydreams or past romances she liked to relive. 
She just says she's really tired. And Master Control realizes that, you know, she's right. And he says he understands. He tells her that he's going to send her a powder through the serving cube that'll help her get rest. And they'll be able to continue tomorrow. So we see Julie do a bump of sleep powder from the cube. She smiles and sits down and collapses in the bed. We see Master Control in his room and a guy on a monitor in his room tells him that one of the pleasure units isn't responding. He had grabbed some equipment and ran off. So uh, Master Control says that they're going to find it. So we see a bunch of shots of computers and then we see a figure in a robe with glowing eyes. We cut to an exterior shot and a guy walking down a street. A car comes by and he attempts to hitch, sticking out his thumb, but the car keeps going on. He continues to walk and another car passes and doesn't stop. A third car comes by and the guy takes off from there. He realizes it's uh, not somebody who's going to pick him up, but somebody who's after him, so he's being chased. We cut back to the car and we see a robed figure who shoves him into the back of the vehicle, which appears to actually be a hearse. Wow. This is a dream. I think that this is a pleasure unit that actually left, and uh, this is what happened in order to get the pleasure unit back. Okay. I wasn't 100% sure exactly what this sequence represented. I mean, I got, like, what was going on within the scene, Right. But I just wasn't sure if it was a dream or a television show or real events. Right. It's hard to tell, but I assumed, based on the order of events, that mm-hmm. this was what Master Control arranged in order to get this pleasure unit back. Okay. You're probably right. A robed figure throws him into the back of this hearse, and uh, they pull their robe off, and it's a naked woman. Oh, yeah. And then two naked women climb into the back of the hearse with him and unbutton his shirt and totally undress him. We then cut back to Master Control and a a light is uh, lit up that says, Eliminate. And then we hear a yell as we continue to look at more lights and stuff. We cut back to Julie's room and she awakens. Her slave unit's by the bed and offers to show her different parts of the Pleasure Dome to stimulate her imagination. We cut to Julie and her bot walking down some hallways together. The unit says that she's going to take her to one of the most popular destinations for men and women. We see some Pleasure Units walking around and uh, the Pleasure Unit takes her into a grassy area. She explains, this is Killer Cross or Cross Country Dash. It's a great sport. It's similar to motocross, but not exactly. She tells Julie to stand aside and get a good look. So we see a bunch of guys on motorcycles uh, who are handed weapons. Uh, Like, one of them gets a flail. There's some chains handed out. Some, like, spears. And then the guys take off. The pleasure unit tells Julie they can see the action better on the big screen so we see the guys motoring around uh to flight of the valkyries Mm -hmm. we see them ramping up some hills and stuff and then we see a female pleasure unit running around so again the pleasure units are in black and pink like uh bret hart Uh uh-huh 
she's running and uh, and she seems to be being hunted by these bikers. She narrowly misses a spear that's thrown at her, but ultimately eats a gunshot by a biker and collapses bloody on the ground. They continue to motor around. Julie's pleasure unit says, look, there's another one. We see another woman in pink and black running. But uh, she ends up getting sliced by the sharp razor edges of the bike as it's speeding by. Yeah. Yeah, each of them has like uh, these like razor teeth on the front of the bike. Yeah, like on like the, like the dash area. Yeah. Yeah. Very, uh, very deadly. Very uh, apparently. Deadly. It's, it's a very deadly game. Julie's pleasure unit notes that there's a booth over there, and if a pleasure unit makes it over there, they're safe from the guests. She mentions it adds extra challenge for the riders. We see more motocrossing around, and another pleasure unit eats a spear that uh, grazes the side of her face, but then she takes a second one that impales her back. Julie says she's seen enough. Um, but she doesn't get away before we see another woman eat a flail to the face. Yeah, I think it takes her whole head off. Right. Julie's pleasure unit says she has other things to show her. She says, what sights I have to show you? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but, well, not uh, exactly. But... Yeah, no, she does have to like reassure her, though, that they're all androids. Right. So it's okay to hunt them. Yeah, that's an important point, in fact. Yeah. Uh, Julie's really bothered by this, but her pleasure unit says that they're only androids. Julie says that's right, but she just forgets because they look so real. We cut to another room. A guy in a cowboy hat and tidy whities walks in. Then a woman named Sandy walks in. She says she's there to take care of his body. She asks what kind of massage he wants. Regular? Special? Extra special? But there's also the most expensive, Super Deluxe Executive Blastoff. He, of course, wants the last one. She tells him to undress and lie down, and she undresses herself. She then whip creams his junk and applies chocolate syrup, coconut, chopped walnuts, and a cherry on top. He says things like, I just don't believe it. She says, away we go, and it seems like she's about to go down on his dick Sunday that she's poured there. Uh Uh-huh. But uh, he then stops her and says, it looks so good, he's decided to eat it himself. And he leans forward and out of frame, apparently self-filating. Yes. This is the only scene in the film where we get to see some hanging dong, too. Oh, yeah, when he goes to get on the massage table. Yeah, just a little brief flash. (laughs) The... The uh, woman in the room says, Marge, you want to come see this one? We then see more people walking around the Pleasure Dome with Pleasure Units all dressed up in various clothes. Julie's Pleasure Unit tells her she's sorry she didn't find something she liked and says that she'll get her a drug from over there and walks away. Julie then starts to wander off and goes into an area with a sign that says, Guests, do not enter. We then hear a like an alarm cue play, and she comes face to face with a robed figure with glowing eyes. Her pleasure unit then pulls her away and tells her that area is for pleasure units only. And uh, 
Her pleasure unit also says that it's her fault. She shouldn't have left Julie alone there. Julie asks what that was, and the unit explains that the robed figures are monitors. They provide security. Julie then asks what's back there, and the unit says that it's equipment and computers. The pleasure unit takes Julie back to her room and tells her to rest for a few minutes. She'll be outside. We then get introduced to Mr. Thompson, who goes into a, a playpen room and talks to Master Control. Master Control tells him that they set this one up just for him based on his test. He tells him that his favorite music is on the recorder in front of him and he should go ahead and play it. He does and the music starts to play and then uh, Master Control tells him to watch the screen. We see a woman undressing and laying in bed. Master Control says she's a pleasure bot, made up to be like the women in those neo-Victorian novels that he likes. He tells him that there are several and invites him to change the channel. He does change the channel and we see another woman undressing to her panties and brushing her hair. Master Control tells him to take his time and let him know when he's found the one to his liking. He goes back to the first woman who's stretching and touching her toes. He cuts back to the second woman who turns off the light in her room and lays her bed and lays in bed in her panties smiling. Eventually Mr. Thompson shows the first woman. Master Control tells him to leave it on the channel of the woman he wants and press the button. He presses the button and we see a bunch of shots of computers and we cut away. Master Control is talking to Julie now. He says, She knows from being a confessor that people have dark desires. Well, the Pleasure Dome is there to help people explore them. And he relates that to what she does. He urges her to enjoy the services they supply at the Pleasure Dome. She may be detached from the darker things, even in herself. He says he knows that she'd really enjoy it if she let herself find new dimensions in herself at the Pleasure Dome. Very good. He says to let Shannon 5 escort her to the Passion Pit. He tells her to have a nice play. So Shannon 5 asks Julie to change into these clothes and follow her. The outfit appears to be a white button-up and some jeans, so I don't know why she had to change clothes. Uh, you know, that's just what you wear in the passion pit. I guess so, so... Wasn't that a band for a while? That might be. I, think I don't know. A, I think that was a popular band in the late aughts. They get on an elevator, and then when the elevator stops, Shannon says this is as far as she goes, so we see Julie walk through the door and then we see her standing by the road as a car pulls up a guy introduces himself it's bob spock i think bob, he bob spock perhaps uh, that's what i heard i didn't it's, hear it's that it's definitely bob the last name might not be spock but that's what i heard he tells her to hop in and she does we see him pull up to a ticket booth they end up at the drive-in Hey! <laughs> he pulls into a spot and uh, calls her a groovy chick and says after the movie starts, they can get into a little action. 
So we see the movie start, and it's Kiss My Whip from Fantasy Films. We see a woman talking, and she's uh, seemingly having a party of some sort. She explains to her guests that there was an ulterior motive to her having people over. She says, all the people there have basically had sex with one another, and everybody was going to go home and ball anyway, so why not have a group sex party? She gives some rules, but overall, the only real rule was not to have hard feelings or be jealous or negative. She then starts to undress and approaches a guy in a leather chair who stands up and they start to kiss. We get shots around the room and everybody's making out and stuff. No whips to be seen. No, not really. Where are all the whips? That's an important question. We need to get to the bottom of this. Maybe... This is a world where TV's a lot better than movies. Right. Bob and Julie are in their car watching all of this. He says, this is my kind of movie. We cut back to a movie and uh, we see a couple get naked in bed and another couple on a couch undressing and making out. Cutting back to the car, Julie seems not into it, but Bob seems to be into it. Why did they go to see a Carlos Tobolina film? <laughs> I don't know. That was their first mistake. Bob turns to Julie and says, Come on, snake, let's crawl. <laughs> she asks what he means, and he's, he makes it clear that he took her out there to fuck her. She gets him to chill out by demanding popcorn, which he resists at first, but eventually relents and uh, leaves the car to go get popcorn. The sex party on the screen continues... At the concession stand, Bob tells the woman at the concession stand that he's got a real pork with him, and she wants more popcorn. He also says that she's a real pain. Why are the androids talking to each other? I don't know. That doesn't seem like they would need to. That's true. I hadn't really thought about that. They're just having an interaction for the benefit of no one. Right. <laughs> Bob gets back to the car and gives Julie popcorn. He says, here's your corn, in a really shitty tone. He then tries to force himself on her again, and she tells him, you know what, you're right, I want to do it with you, but somewhere else. How about the trunk? <laughs> he thinks that that's ridiculous, as one might. Uh, but finally, she talks him into it. He asks if she's sure she's into this, and uh, he gets back there by the trunk. She then grabs the tire iron out of the trunk and clubs him in the back of the head and stuffs his body in the trunk and takes <laughs> and takes off. The sex party continues as a big orgy pile forms. Again, kind of like a tar Carlos Tobolina film. That was a good call. <laughs> Thank you, and there's still no whip in sight. No, not a whip at all. I was really excited for this film within a film. Right. Since it, they'd all been so good so far. Well, you know. We see Julie feeling around, uh, kind of on the borders of where she's at, looking for a door. She finally pries one open, and she walks through it, but uh, she ends up on the killer cross course in a tall field. She looks down. Did she purposely switch her bracelet with the pleasure bot she was with? Yeah, I think so. She was trying to, I guess, get like access to like the 
I guess where those like robed guys are. Right. Yeah. I, I I seem to recall that. I didn't catch this while watching this, but I seem to recall that from the last time that I watched this. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, that does happen. Okay. So yeah, she once she's on this killer cross course, she looks down at her wrist, and she doesn't have the gold bracelet that she had before. She has the uh, blue thing that she took from Bob in his car. We see the bikes zooming around and Julie running around trying to hide. Someone shoots a gun that's like a flare gun that catches some vegetation on fire. We then see a guy hit a ramp and uh, he apparently explodes off screen, though we don't see it. That's not a good ramp. (laughs) Uh, Julie picks up a gun that she got from the guy who exploded, apparently. She takes off, and uh, she sees the safety booth ahead, the one that her pleasure bot earlier said that uh, they can escape through. She runs, but then falls down and uh, comes face-to-face with a dead pleasure unit and screams. She gets up and runs again, but there's a bike chasing her. She narrowly outruns the bike and ends up in the safety room, narrowly escaping the flail. She's then congratulated by the computer for her escape. And we see her back in the Pleasure Dome proper, sneaking around. We then see Master Control in his room. He gets informed that Julie attacked her Pleasure Unit and is missing. Master Control says to deactivate the Pleasure Bots in the core area and search for her. So we see one of those monitor bots with the glowing eyes looking around and... uh, There's a room with a bunch of collapsed pleasure bots who've been turned off. Yeah. We see Julie sneaking around all the collapsed bots and walks into the do not enter area. Master Control is then informed that Julie wasn't found in the core area, so he tells him to reactivate the pleasure units and sweep the other areas. Julie continues to sneak around. We see some shots of computers, monitors lurking around, Julie sneaking. She then runs into a guy in a blue suit who seems to be, like, one of the employees there. He asks her where she's going and notes that she's not in this sector normally and then tells her to come with him. She then pulls out her gun and then hears in her head, they're only machines, which was what uh, her pleasure unit had said before when the people were getting killed on the Killer Cross course. Yeah. So, with that in mind, she shoots the dude dead with her gun. Yeah, and a bunch of smoke pours out of him, because he's just a stupid fucking robot. Right. We see her looking around at the computers, looking for what she needs to sabotage. She then finds the little service door she's supposed to go through, and she crawls through it. But what she finds, instead of a big computer, was a big empty room. Yeah, well, she goes into, like, the room, I think, where the computer is, and then kind of goes, like behind the curtain right and then it's just like like i said like a bunch of lamps plugged into a wall right uh, um i was like oh this isn't very high tech <laughs> she says there's not a computer here at all we hear a voice say that's right and then she gets knocked out we cut two shots of a lab-like area and we see a bunch of pleasure units and tubes that are apparently deactivated And then we see Julie strapped to a hospital bed with foil over it. They wheel her into a big white room where some guy in a jumpsuit approaches her before walking away. 
Then we hear Master Control. He tells her not to struggle, except what's going to happen to her. He tells her she's an excellent applicant. She asks him what that means, and he says that she saw the computer, and she says, well, there's no computer, and he says, that's right. He says, if there's no computer, there's no androids. He explains that the monitors, in fact, are the only androids they own, and they were very expensive. But humans, humans are more plentiful. She says, you mean? Oh, no! She gets some flashbacks to the women in the Killer Cross course being killed, and then also a shot of her shooting that guy a few minutes ago. No, no. They're humans. She says, how They're could humans. you? She says, how could you? And he says, very simply. He explains that they've been able to condition brainwaves for a while now. And he explains that even pleasure units believe that they're actual machines now. He explains that the reason that they've been lying to everybody is that it helps their guests live their fantasies because they'll do anything to androids where they wouldn't necessarily do it to humans. Master Control says he'd like to stay and talk, but he's busy. He says he can't wait to work with her. She asks what he means. Then she says, no, you can't do that. Then we cut to some more establishing shots of the Pleasure Dome. We see some shots of computer screens. A new group of guests arrives. The woman at the desk greets them. We see a big guy walk into the room and a computer monitor says, Pleasure unit activated. At that point, we see Julie walk in. She says, I'm Julie 14. I'm your personal pleasure unit. And then we cut to black. And then classical music continues for like a minute after that. Yeah, there's no credits. It's just a black screen of classical music. And that was our vision of the future. That was things to come. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to review things to come. You're familiar with the old sport of motocross racing. Well, this is very similar, with a couple of exceptions. Our guests have come to call it Killer Cross, but the official title is Cross Country Dash. Why do they call it Killer Cross? You will see in a few minutes. Let's move over here where we can get a closer look. Big boys take big drinks. That they do. That they do. Woo. Well, well, we're back. Boss took too big a drink. So I'm going to go ahead and take over with my raincoat review. Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> I love this movie. Okay. I think it's a fantastic piece of uh, 70s exploitation sci-fi. All right. Uh, I think it... Uh, I was really impressed with uh, the whole... Uh, mood of the film the whole setting yeah the whole world it created um it reminded me a lot of uh some of the better uh like dystopian science fiction movies from the same period because this really does fit in with that uh yeah that point in science fiction you got like thx uh 1138 yeah uh what else Maybe, I haven't seen it, but is it kind of like Soylent Green? Yeah, yeah, Soylent Green was one. Uh, a little bit of Rollerball oh, with yeah. the, the Kill Across. Uh, definitely a bit of Westworld, too. Yeah. Um, so it combines like a lot of different things uh, and takes a lot of those uh, 
science fiction uh, film tropes and does quite a lot with them. Yeah. I think for something. And it does it all with the uh, budget of probably like a Roger Corman film. Right. If not lower than that. But it's just a very enjoyable film. Yeah. I think the concept is really good. I think the little twist at the end is pretty neat. Yeah. It it uh it definitely feels like uh just a lot of uh 70s film have a sort of more like a, a nihilistic tone to them. Yeah, yeah. Um and I think this definitely has that sort of pessimistic downbeat ending you would expect from a a 70s science fiction film. <laughs> right. Uh so I liked it a lot. Uh, all the performances are pretty solid for some no-names who pretty much got in and out of the game. Right, right. I like that this one's sort of a... It's kind of different for us. It's like a smaller like regional film versus the stuff we usually watch, which is primarily filmed either in New York or somewhere in California. Right. Uh, I can't really think of too many things uh, negative, I would say, about this one. There's not a point in this film where I wasn't just giddy with whatever was happening on the screen. <laughs> uh, I don't know that hardcore sex necessarily would have improved it either. Right. Uh, maybe a little bit, but there weren't really any kind of like relationships that were built where it was necessary beyond using it uh, as kind of a device on the television screen. Right. Which I liked. It didn't make it like a full pornographic film but there's enough there that if you like to see uh breasts and uh just a little bit of uh snm and bondage there's something there for you yeah uh for me personally it has a little bit of everything i love i'm gonna give it a nice big four and a half wow yeah i was really very pleased with this you said it was good before we picked it Uh uh-huh uh, but I didn't expect it to be this good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so definitely shout out. Thank you to the, uh, American genre film archive for putting this one out. So the bad news for this is that this is out of print. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. If you, uh, wanted to see it, I guess you're going to have to wait and see, uh, if the things to come shake out your way. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Agfa released this through their partnership with Vinegar Syndrome in a okay. limited edition slipcovered release. Um, this was released as a smut without smut release. So yes. Agfa has put on theatrical exhibitions of this, and essentially what it is is um, they do uh, presentations of films uh, without the... Uh, sex scenes in them yeah or uh in some cases they do like super cuts of just like you know a few minutes of each film together right i know without sex but smut without smut has been a theatrical thing Mm -hmm. and now they've uh released two volumes on blu-ray oh yeah they just put another one out yeah this first volume was limited to like a thousand or two thousand units Mm -hmm. uh the second volume, I don't believe, is actually limited, so okay. that's cool. Yeah. But uh, it it included Things to Come and uh, another one called... Something like Deadly Angels or something like that. It's not 
the killer dolls. Yes, I think. that's it. Yeah, yes. killer dolls. Killer dolls and things to come. Um, it has smut without smut versions where it cuts out the sex scenes, but we watched the complete version. I, have you watched the smut without smut version? No. I can't. Like, the stuff they would cut out would, to me, be, like, some of the most amusing stuff, and it would kind of make the film, I think, a little bit more difficult to follow. I could see that. I could see maybe cutting out the part where the guy, like, blows himself, because <laughs> that's not really necessary. It's right. funny, though, so yeah. leave it in. Um, gosh, this movie's so good. It's just so charming and so much fun. I also enjoyed this film. Like I said, I, I like Jeremy said, I had kind of recommended it. I, th- I said that it was pretty good. I will say that I probably didn't like it as much as Jeremy did, but it's... That's okay. I mean, it's good. I like it. Yeah, it happens. It's really interesting. There's a lot of, uh, you know, sci-fi world building, the, building this a post-apocalyptic future. <laughs> The one film that I would actually relate this the most to is a film that uh, falls into the erotic film space that we actually haven't covered yet on the Raincoat Report, and that is Sex World by Anthony Spinelli. Yeah, yeah. We started watching the 4K, and I fell asleep. Yes. uh, I watched (laughs) the whole thing. You fell asleep quickly. Yeah, you know. I know the the theme theme song. Sex Sex World. World. (laughs) Uh, That's it. There's more to it. There's other words. If we watch it, maybe we can sing it. Vinegar Syndrome released a soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. They were supposed to... Not Vinegar Syndrome, but someone was supposed to release the Cafe Flush soundtrack on vinyl, too, pretty recently. Yeah, I think maybe Fun City or... Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's the renaissance of porn soundtracks on vinyl. It's beautiful. It's a great thing. You want to... Did you review the movie? No, I, I was getting to that. Okay. I, I was I was mentioning its relationship to Sex World. Um, and I would say that overall, like, while Sex World has hardcore sex and this doesn't, uh, this is a better movie overall than Sex World, in my opinion. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to that in more detail at a later date, but... Both of these movies revolve around a future where you can go to a center where all of your sexual dreams come true. Yes. But whereas Sex World is pretty on the surface, it's basically about a bunch of couples that are having sexual problems and then they go to Sex World and live out fantasies and Mm. the results of which are very different. Um, This film has a lot more going on as far as there being like a resistance fighting against a future computer thing. Like, this is a much more built-out world. Yeah, they're going to overthrow the government. I would say that one thing that Sex World has that this doesn't is uh, hardcore sex, but... (laughs) I don't think that this film really suffers for not having hardcore sex. No. I mean, you know, if you were wanting to watch hardcore sex and then you watch this film, maybe you'd be disappointed. But uh, this film has a lot going for it. And in the world of hardcore sex films, this is certainly top tier. Yeah. Um, Wait, of softcore sex? In the world of softcore sex films, okay. this is definitely top tier. It's definitely better than Femalian 2. 
It is, although I will say that... Those are... They're made for different purposes. There may be just Franco softcore films that I like more than this. Okay, but I as far, see that. But, like, outside of that... Yeah. I think that this is, you know... This is this is high quality stuff. Yeah, um, I really enjoy the you know post apocalyptic world, the glowing eyed monitors who do things, who may be naked women in robes. But they're the only ones that are actually robots, right? And uh, you know, I like this uh, dystopian future where. People are abducted and uh, led to believe that they're robots and believe it. Um, Yeah. And like this world with all this bondage on TV. I mean. Yeah. Who could not love that? Religious people. Mostly. Well, I'll go on record and just say, fuck them. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. They can (laughs) go. uh, They can go pound sand. (laughs) So, all of that's to say that I really like this film. I will say that, like, I wasn't in love with it in the same way I feel like Jeremy was. I mean, I really like it. It's very good. But at the same time, some of the some of the sex wasn't, like, super exciting to me just because, you know, it's softcore and... I don't know. It's alright, but, like... You know, the whole world that it builds is certainly beyond what a lot of hardcore films are able to pull off. So, um, overall, I mean, it's a great film. Regardless of what rating we give it, you should go out of your way to see it if you can. And if you can't, um, you know, there are probably alternate methods to see it. But regardless, uh, it's quite a film. So, things to come... Gets a solid three and a half stars from me. Here, here. Here, here. Give me a beer. Okay. You have to finish your bourbon. Uh, oh, God. Have I not finished this yet? Oh, I haven't either. Finish on. it on air. All right. I'm going to finish it on air. Oh. He's <laughs> making quite a face, and that'll just about do it for us this week. That'll do it. So, uh... Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Um, we are looking at perhaps doing a Patreon. You may have heard a, an ad on this episode. We're sorry. We're, we're sorry. <laughs> no, um, you know, we've been working on this for, you know, 70 seven episodes i think it is by now something like that yeah within a few episodes of 77 um and so we're uh we're just trying to get back the money that we use to buy all of this stuff that we bought in order to record this show it's time to get a little cheddar yeah we're gonna go out of our way and sell out but uh i'm gonna buy a suit (laughs) we are uh and a bugatti in all seriousness, we are looking at uh, perhaps doing a Patreon uh, thing. I'm going to get a doctor who will bring me cocaine any time of the day. Dr. Cocaine? If that's his name, that's why I'm putting him <laughs> in as my phone. <laughs> <laughs>
Remember that time you and one of our friends uh, did a bunch of cocaine and did our dishes here? Yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was the last time they were done. <laughs> that, is, that is about the last time they were done. Uh, we did install a new dishwasher today, so that may be I hope it changes. not the case. I hope it changes for you. I hope you can turn it around. To where our dishes get done sometimes? Yeah, I would like to drink out of a cup instead of just cupping my hands together under the sink and lapping it out <laughs> like a dog. Um, okay, so what were we talking about? You were talking about how we're going to make a bunch of money. Oh, yes. Off we're going to ad that we're going to run. <laughs> we're going to make so much money off of this ad we're running. Is it for like a pyramid scheme? Uh, yes, it is for... No, it's for Anchor, who has been hosting our podcast since the beginning. Oh, yeah. They have done it for free, so that's pretty cool. Um, I won't say anything disparaging about them. Do they send us a bill? Is that why we're doing this? No, they are not sending us a bill. If we do this enough, they might actually send us money in return. Oh, good. Okay. And instead of us being down hundreds of dollars on this podcast... Oh, no. We might actually be even or even above even if let's, we do it for long enough. Let's break even. There's a Patreon, but we'll get some news about that. As yeah, we, we're working on that. I think we'll wait to launch it until we're, we've got it figured out. Yeah, it'll be a little bit still. but uh, Maybe a couple months. Maybe a couple of years. Maybe a couple of days. I think well, I'm going to shoot for a couple months rather than a couple years or a couple days. Okay. That seems like the, it's a nice <laughs> middle ground between days and years is a month. <laughs> okay, so what about raincoats, Jeremy? Oh, um, I have a bunch of them for sale. If you come to where I work, you can buy them right out of the trunk of my car. I got all sizes. <laughs> got all, I got all cuts. I got... What else do I got? Uh, I got some with a belt. I got some without a belt. <laughs> I like London Fog. I got ponchos. I got uh, Macintoshes. <laughs> okay, well, uh, don't forget your raincoat. 